0: Welcome back to the Horrors. Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Shay. And here we are with Cannibal Power Hour second installment.
1: Yes, we're coming at you with a much more recent installment than our Hills Have Eyes episode. We are covering 2022's Fresh. And let me tell you
0: yeah, please tell me. This was delightful. (laughs) I am so tickled, Pink, that
1: you love this as much as you do.
0: I just thought it was awesome. I was laughing out loud. I mean, I was also very taken with the story and I was, of course, rooting for our characters, but I was laughing. I felt like I finally understood what comedic horror is Ooh. or what it could be. I don't know. It was just awesome. Yeah. So I'm excited to talk about it.
1: So Fresh came out earlier this year and is actually part of a resurgence of popular cannibal storytelling, which I thought was super cool. So just to name off some other things that make cannibalism a theme, you have the upcoming Bones and All, so that should be interesting. You have shows among the likes of Hannibal, Santa Clarita Diet, the movie The Neon Demon, of course, Raw, which we're covering next, which is super exciting. But then also the show Yellow Jackets, which I'm just going to fangirl about for a little bit. (laughs) Not only because it's really fucking good. I'm on my second rewatch of the first season right now. The second season's filming. But it also has our girl, Jasmine Savoy Brown in it, Mindy from Scream 2022, who we loved was one of our favorite characters in that. (laughs) And then also has Christina Ritchie of fucking Adams Family fame. She's fucking Wednesday Adams, Fucking awesome. And is also executive produced by Karen Kusama, who... (laughs) People at home, why do we know her name? You're correct. It's because she directed Jennifer's Body. So, of course, I love it. Anyway, I just wanted to give that show a shout out. It's on Showtime. It's really good. And it's about a girls soccer team that crash lands in the Canadian wilderness and are stranded there for 19 months and have to resort to cannibalism to survive. So, very dark. Love it a lot.
0: Yeah, really interesting, because when we started talking about doing Cannibal Power Hour, I don't think I realized that cannibalism is becoming so popular. The theme, not the action. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully.
1: Yeah. So I also wanted to provide some historical context to the idea of cannibalism, which in retrospect, maybe I should have done in our Hills Have Eyes episode. But thinking about how this is becoming a resurgence and what that has to say about women and women's storytelling. I wanted to just give a little bit of a history as to what cannibalism storytelling looks like in the West specifically, because it has a lot to do with colonialism, it has a lot to do with imperialism, it has a lot to do with racism, like all of the isms, right? Because it actually comes up in Fresh. There's a point that I want to talk to you about where I'm like, oh my god, like, I think this is a nod to this lore, almost. So this comes from the book, Appetites and Anxieties, Food, Film, and the Politics of Representation, specifically, Chapter 5, When Humans Are the Food Product, An Ideological Look at Cannibal Films.
0: That sounds like an amazing chapter. Yeah,
1: I was really, really into it. And this is by Cynthia Barron, Diane Carson, and Mark Bernard. Folk tales in various parts of the world make reference to cannibalism. The cannibalism in stories like Hansel and Gretel and Jack and the Beanstalk is so familiar, one almost fails to notice it. Moreover, symbolic or sacred cannibalism is part of Christian culture. We are back with our... Everything is Christian. (laughs) Some believers consider the Eucharist a symbolic act, whereas others adhere to the doctrine that transubstantiation transforms the bread and wine into the actual body and blood of Christ. The Christian idea of communion as an act that creates connection with the spiritual domain accords with both ecclesiastical and secular theory. Both perspectives envision a process of evolution in which people first killed and ate humans for food, then killed and ate humans only in ritual situations, then replaced humans with animals in ritual sacrifice, and eventually reached the point where anthropophagy, the eating of human flesh by human beings, was replaced by a symbolic sacrifice and the consumption of a spiritual essence. So, okay, we're getting religious. Now let's go to the history bit. The view that primitive people remain in the first two stages of spiritual and social evolution is often a corollary of the position that the Christian Eucharist is a sign of advanced civilization. However, as cultural theorist and anthropologist William Ahrens points out, the most certain thing to be said is that all cultures, subcultures, religions, sects, Secret societies and every other possible human association have been labeled anthropophagic by someone. In other words, the idea of others as cannibals rather than the act is a central point in cannibal narratives. Noting that stories about cannibalism go as far back as Erodotus, who referred to the human flesh-eating habit of very distant, unnamed nomads, Aaron finds that accounts follow clear patterns. People locate cannibalism in neighboring societies, as Aerodotus did. They employ the idea as a mythic marker in the progress of their own cultural development, as in the Christian scenario. They also attribute cannibalism to members of their own society as part of explanations for the existence of misfortune, as in the Inquisition, when witches, heretics, and sometimes Jewish people were accused of cannibalism.
0: Okay, wow, wow. Yeah. Let's stop and unpack that. Okay, so... Cannibalism is something that people don't self ascribe to. It's something that they point out exists in other cultures.
1: Essentially, that's what it is. They're saying that cannibalism exists over there.
0: <laughs> but oh, no, no, not over here.
1: And if it does exist
0: over here, it's why we're better now. And it's a part of our ritual, and it's very sacred.
1: It's a way for whatever group of people to make a marker of look how far we've come. Like we used to do these things, but we're not like that anymore. But these people still do. But what Aaron's is saying is that No one in history has been, like, a self-ascribed cannibal. Wow, okay. It's essentially being like, no, we have these rituals, we have these practices, but look over there, those are savages, like,
0: you know what I mean? (gasps) That's such an interesting rhetorical study as well, like, how people just talk about the same thing, but in different words, and I never thought about, like, the Christian tradition of communion as something rooted in cannibalism, but it totally, I mean, what else can it be? It's so wild. It's just one of those
1: things that it's like, it brainwashes you to think that like, oh yeah, the body and blood of Christ. It's like a metaphor, but it's like,
0: look at what you're saying. Yeah. Look at what you're saying. Like it comes from cannibalism or ideas associated with it. That's so crazy. And if you think about
1: it, I mean, it's not necessarily a spoiler for this movie, but the term cannibal never comes up in fresh. Mm -mm. So it's funny, again, the idea that one of our main characters, Steve is you know saying he found this community and he's this and he's that but like it's not like this community of cannibals <laughs> like he's not calling it what it is so even the idea that it's not even being spoken in this context mm-hmm. is very interesting
0: he just euphemizes everything
1: so then that leads to like the americas and thinking about okay. indigenous populations native peoples Post-colonial scholarship amplifies Aaron's view that cannibal narratives serve the interests of the people who formulate them. Official accounts that concern cannibalism rather than anthropophogy reflect Europeans' New World colonial exploits with their intertwined projects of Christianizing, capitalism, and imperialism. As Ahrens and others point out, the term cannibal did not exist until Columbus published a summary of his journey to the land of the Great Khan, in which he claimed that man-eating Carib Indians inhabited islands that he passed. So that's where the fucking word comes from.
0: That is very new in the grand scheme of how long some of these traditions can date back to.
1: It makes me think of the book, A People's History of the United States, the mm-hmm. idea that history is written by whoever wins. Oh, yeah. So it makes us think like, all right, this notion that we have about cannibalism or anthropophogy, quote unquote, is because it was written by imperialists, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So cannibal narratives consistently focus on questions surrounding identity. Berglund writes, defining the other as a barbaric cannibal... One who may extinguish your life clearly distinguishes the boundaries between good and evil between me and you. The historical usage of the term cannibal to demarcate lines between civilized who eat animals and uncivilized who eat other people was used to justify the conquest of the new world, asserting that indigenous peoples violated natural law by practicing such barbarous outrages as idolatry and cannibalism allowed any act of European savagery to become legitimate However, despite cannibal narratives' division between civilized and uncivilized peoples, they do not present stable identities. Instead, stories about cannibalism suggest that identities are actually quite fluid. Berglund proposes that consumption by another collapses identity boundaries. In being consumed, you become me, I become you me. Figuratively, cannibalism threatens one's sense of integrity.
0: Ooh, okay. And we kind of see that language in Fresh. Yes, yes. This is so psychological. hmm Very, very messy, figuratively and literally.
1: So that's just some context to go into this knowing. There's a rich history, and a lot of it is by pointing fingers and being like, well, you do this, and you're worse than me. But challenging that idea that, yeah, we're kind of all animals, so, like, where are the lines here? And especially that last bit I found was very interesting when comparing it to some of
0: Steve's language in the movie. Mm. So... Let's get into it. Let's get into it. How do we open? So first, our camera lens is looking out from underneath the car, slowly pans up, and we see a lady looking through a bunch of Tinder-esque profiles. This is our girl, Noah. She calls her BFF Molly. Something with the dates not going well. Is he late? He had asked her to
1: bring money <gasps> oh, right, because okay. it's a cash-only place, so okay. it's just the idea that he might be cheap.
0: Uh huh, or make her pay for the whole thing, yeah. or she's just not getting good vibes. So, next scene, we see she's on the actual date. They're in some kind of like Asian or Thai restaurant, pretty casual, and he's wearing a scarf, which, you know, if this was maybe 2013, would be less of a red flag, but it's 2022, a little out of style. They're talking about spicy food, and she's not really interested. He's kind of going into detail about how uncomfortable it is for him to sometimes eat spicy food. And it's just a little bit TMI for this interaction. And then the guy starts talking about how women from previous generations were way more into femininity, and that Noah would look great in a dress. Meanwhile, she's sitting across the table in a sweater and pants. (laughs) very minimal makeup and obviously this feels like a very backhanded sort of thing to say then when they're done eating he asks if he can take her leftovers home his brother's visiting (laughs) which is crazy and she's like yeah whatever and as he asks for a box He totally insults the woman working there. He speaks to her like she has never heard a word of English in her life, despite having a bustling company in whatever city they're in. And as they leave, Noah tells him, you know, hey, just so you know, I'm not really interested when he originally tells her, hey, we should do this again sometimes. Mm -hmm. So she's just trying to be honest. But then he snaps back. I was just being polite. Good luck finding a guy you stuck up, bitch. Yeah. So many bad things about this date. I feel like most of the stereotypes for a bad date exist in this one short scene. On her way to her car, she gets nervous because she thinks someone might be following her, but it's just like a guy walking his baby. So on top of everything else, you also have the moment where we have a woman alone. She gets a scare, but it turns out she's fine in that moment.
1: I think it's interesting, too, that they pointed out two instances where she's in danger because even, like, rejecting Chad is his name because, of course, it is. Oh, yes. (laughs) Um, Even when she's rejecting Chad. I was listening to a podcast or something talking about how people complain about how, like, oh, yeah, she said in person that she wanted to do the date again. And then I get a text saying... But, like, that's for your fucking safety. Because if you reject somebody in person, like, you're gonna get that aggressive, angry reaction that Chad gave. I mean, of course, he just kind of, like, flipped his scarf and walked off. But he could (laughs) have reacted a lot more, like, aggressively, physically. He could have. I mean, he did invade her space trying to, like, kiss her. And she had to, like, make space between them. But what if they weren't in front of the store anymore, you know? Right.
0: And, of course, this is their first time meeting. So we don't know who this guy is. We don't know what he's
1: about. So the next scene we see is Noah kickboxing with Molly. And Noah is played by Daisy Edgar Jones. You may know her from the War of the Worlds TV series, which I didn't even know they had a TV series, so that's cool. And then Normal People, which I've heard really, really good
0: things about. Let me tell you a little something about Normal People. Okay. Okay, so I heard from two friends of mine to watch Normal People because it's super spicy. And one day I sat down to watch it. I had many glasses of wine. (laughs) I was like, I don't know, on the fifth or sixth episode, I was sobbing. Oh, no. So if you think you can just sit down and watch normal people and be normal for the rest of your life going on, that's not true. So just (laughs) fucking brace yourself because it's so emotional.
1: See, that's what I've heard. I've heard it's like devastating.
0: I was misled. (laughs) And she's also in the new
1: Where the Crawdads Sing movie, which the only reason I know about that movie is because Taylor Swift wrote a song for the soundtrack. And then Molly is played by Jojo T. Gibbs, who is a comedian and podcast voice actor. So they're at kickboxing and they're kind of lamenting about dating. Molly's just trying to be a good hype man and hype her up being like, oh, you know, fuck these guys, la, 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 la. We see her later in her apartment, still swiping, just mindlessly. And I liked how subtle this moment was because she ends up matching with a guy because he has a cute picture of a dog. So they're messaging back and forth, and then he gets aggressive and sexual within the first like three messages. But then you see her put her phone down, go back to whatever she was doing, and then she lowers her expectations, goes to pick up the phone again (laughs) as if she's going to engage with this guy. And then gets sent a dick pic, and then she's like, oh, okay, fine. But I just (laughs) like that she was like, oh, my God, like, another one of these aggressive sexual dudes, and then thought about it for a second. She's like, I'm bored. I'll engage. And it wasn't until the dick pic came through that she's like, "Mm mm-mm, nope, not going to do this anymore. (laughs) So really showing the hellscape that
0: is online dating sometimes. Yes. And this online dating has caused her to be quite ravenous. So she doesn't have any food in the house. Obviously her leftovers were stolen by <laughs> Chad and Chad's brother. So she heads to the grocery store. I liked this grocery store sequence as it was establishing this piece. All the misters were on. I wrote down that it looked very fresh and it's bright. It's nice. And then some guy is by the grapes and asks her if she's ever had cotton candy grapes. And they strike up a conversation. He mentions that his sister and his niece love them. He's picking up some for them now. He asks her to try a grape. She does. And it's great. I guess it really does taste like cotton candy. They keep talking. This guy is asking if she lives around here and then is immediately like, that was terrible. Kind of calling attention to the fact that he is flirting and maybe doesn't feel like it's going quite well. He's being very transparent, which is kind of charming. And Noah seems charmed. Then eventually he says, fuck it, and asks for her number. He says, we can meet here next week to talk about the broccoli, (laughs) which I thought was so cute. He introduces himself as Steve and insists he won't text her. It's just so he can have a good story for his sister and his niece when he gives them the grapes. And then they part ways.
1: Yeah, and I liked in this scene, too, you see Noah taking notice of other strangers, like other men, when she's walking through the aisle, being like, okay, I'm going to move further over. I'm going to, like, separate myself between me and these strangers. But you don't see Steve until he notices her. Mm. So I kind of like that that was established where it's like she's not even perceiving him. So you could tell that he's had his eye on her, even if she didn't know it. It's giving predatory. A little bit. So then she's debriefing with Molly the next day. And she was like, oh, my God, like, he was cute. You know, I didn't think that people met in real life anymore like that. <laughs> and Molly's like, yeah, he's probably married, which is <laughs> very funny. But then Steve texts her. And later they meet at a bar where she finds out that he is a plastic surgeon. He asks about her family. She reveals she doesn't really have a lot of family. They kind of bond over that because he has also lost a parent, there's a lot of close up shots on mouths and features. So a lot of teeth, lips and eyes We're seeing them like, you know, narrow and one of them says something funny and then taking sips of their drinks. So just very intentional shots of them almost consuming things and each other with like the mm. eyes and the mouth. So I thought that was interesting. So Steve asks Noah to tell him something that she doesn't want to tell him or something like as some sort of like question game. It's a good question. It's a good question. And she admits that she hates dating. So she says, I hate the awkward preamble, the questions, the texting, everything about it. People who believe in love are fucking idiots. We put all (laughs) our hopes into finding happiness through someone else. And I just think, I don't know. It's not meant for me because I've been alone so long that I'm actually pretty good at it. Mm. And I'm like, okay, Summer. Five Hundred Days of Summer is one of my favorite movies. Now. I'm like, I'm like, this
0: is a summer rant if I've ever fucking heard it. But then she says, "Fuck it," and kisses him. I love it. This whole scene felt so realistic. Mm-hmm. Like it starts off, it's a little uncomfortable. Then maybe you have a drink. You're easing into the conversation. Then, like, the words fade and the music fades up. You're just smitten, you're smitten. And by the end of the date, you're so just, like, high on, like, this new person and the atmosphere. I loved it. It just makes everything that happens later so wild. Yeah, it really does. (laughs) As if it can't get any better at this moment, he ends up going home with her and they stay up talking and laughing until the wee hours of the morning. And of course they're making out and like- They do I have sex. Fuck. Yeah. He puts on an act that he doesn't want to have sex.
1: He does a very nice he guy thing. He stops her. Yeah.
0: And is like, I don't know. But then they do have sex and yeah, the sun is coming up. So they were up together all night, just having the time of their lives.
1: So the next morning, she sneakily takes a photo of him to send to Molly before waking him up, which
0: I don't know. But I mean, it works out that she does. He also doesn't have any social media. Mm -hmm. So she's probably trying to like have something to show. Yes, they have like a cute morning together. Then we see Noah showering.
1: She's relishing touching her neck, hair, shoulders, feeling water over her lips. So it's like that post sex
0: glow. (laughs) She has it. So she calls Molly a little bit later in the day to fill her in. And she says to Molly, what we already know, he doesn't have any socials. And Molly immediately says it's a red flag. But the conversation moves on and Noah reveals that the bartender at the restaurant her and Steve were at last night is this guy, Paul, who was a former fling of Molly's. So small world. Molly seems to kind of fondly remember Paul. She's like, I don't know why we stopped seeing each other. But that's the end of that for now. And then later, we're on another date with Steve.
1: Yeah, they're at Noah's apartment, and Noah is offering for Steve to try like some of her favorite short ribs that they got from a takeout restaurant. And he says, "I don't eat animals." <laughs> She's like, "Oh my god!" And he's like, "No, don't worry about it. Uh, you know, I want you to have a good time." La la la. So then, you know, they're just kind of lounging, and he asks, "So have you told anyone about me?" She admits that she told her best friend Molly. And, you know, he asks a little bit about her and their relationship. They end up dancing together, which is very
0: cute. hmm
1: And after that little, like, lighthearted, very romantic moment, Steve suggests going away somewhere as a surprise. And... <laughs> Then it cuts to Molly saying a surprise. Uh-uh, I don't like that. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm like, Molly is a
0: good friend. Molly is amazing. She's so fucking smart. And everything that's a red flag, she fucking spots.
1: But then again, you know, it's hard to be in Molly's position because Noah's been alone for so long. Yeah, and, and they're women. They're adults. Yeah. And she wants to be excited for her. Yeah. And Noah seems so happy. So she doesn't want to be like that guy that's bringing down the vibe. But she's like, hey, like, I haven't even met this guy. And you're going away on a weekend with him. And yeah, blah, blah, blah. And this is where Noah is like, oh, well, like, look at him and sends the picture
0: of him in bed. And she's like, I mean, I guess he's cute, but worth all this. Like-. <laughs> yeah, Yeah. But Noah decides that she's going to go anyway. So, Steve pulls up to Noah's place to pick her up and says that traffic is bad, so he's going to take her to his place and then they'll leave the next morning.
1: Is it his place or like is it his just like mountain house because it, looks it seems like very far out
0: where it yeah. would be
1: like unrealistic for him to be coming into the city the entire time, but I don't know.
0: It's very much like um da 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 the house from Invisible Man. Yes. At first, I thought that we were just cutting to the next morning and that when they arrived at this house, it was the destination. Mm -hmm. But then whatever dialogue happened that made me realize, oh, like, this is what he said was his place. Okay, yeah. So it does look very much like that should just be the destination. You should just take a vacation to Steve's fucking house because it's so gorgeous and nice and, like, in the woods. But it is not the location he tells her that they are going to. Because he says something about, are you excited for Potter's Grove? Cottage Grove. Oh, why did I say Potter's Grove? Are you excited for Cottage Grove? La la la. So they're there. Noah is looking around. There's a lot of art on the walls. The house is so clean. It is chic. And I feel like, I don't know if this is a thing, but I feel like recently there has become another red flag for men, which is if they are too clean. Oh. If they're too specific, too clean. I feel like I've seen, I don't know, maybe like a TikTok or something. It's giving maybe controlling. I don't know. But it kind of looks like Noah might be, now that she's here and her Wi-Fi is bad and she realizes how isolated this house is. I feel like you can start seeing her maybe feeling a little bit uncomfortable. Like, I don't know, maybe she's like not sobering up, but kind of like sobering up a little bit to like the connection that they have. And she's kind of like, maybe this isn't the best, the best idea. Yeah, this is a little bit sketchy.
1: Yeah, and you definitely see that on her face. Mm-hmm. It's, it's acted very well where she's trying to you know reassure herself like this is fine. This is good. And, you know, I took note that Steve keeps mentioning his sister and niece My sister got me that candle. My niece picked out that painting, that kind of thing. And he keeps mentioning other women in his life to make it seem like, oh, I'm a good guy because I care about women and women are important (laughs) to me to make himself appear safe. But Steve makes them drinks, says the Wi-Fi is out. He makes her a old fashioned with a twist and then challenges her to identify all of the flavors in it. And I thought this was so insidious because it makes her drink the drink very
0: fast. Mm -hmm.
1: And you can see where this is
0: going. Right when she finally identifies it as nectarine, which who knows if it even was nectarine, Mm -hmm. the camera edges start to blur, so Mm -hmm. we can tell that she is fading. The camera's
1: blurring, the sound is fading in and out. You just hear Steve saying, like, look at me, look at me. Oh, why are you so far away from me? Come over here. She goes to stand up and passes out. Yeah.
0: And then we get the title card 34 (gasps) minutes into the movie! So, yeah, first part of the movie feels very much like a rom com, and then now we're hit with reality that things are very, very, very bad. So, after the title card and all of the credits, which is amazing, Noah wakes up in a room and she sees Steve sitting on the other side of that room looking at her. She asks what happened, and he says, I drugged you, very matter of factly. She laughs, but then realizes it's not a joke when she sees that she is handcuffed to the floor with like a chain, maybe there's like three feet of chain. Noah starts getting upset, obviously, in a moment of brilliant acting. She is repeating, this is not happening. Steve is answering, yes, it is. And you can see that it's all coming together in Noah's mind, the bad Wi-Fi, the plan, etc., He tells her that he's not going to rape her and yells at her to listen. And that's kind of enough to get her to, I guess, calm down or at least stop hyperventilating and focus for a second. He tells her what's going on. He says, I'm going to sell your meat. People pay a lot of money for it and your hair and weird shit like that. It's a thing. So I'm not going to kill you uh, right away because the fresher the meat, the better. So I'm going to keep you alive as best I can. And then he says, unless you
1: act up, but until then, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to cook for you. I'm actually a really good cook. As long as you don't act up, nothing bad has to happen. Oh, my God. And I'm like, unless you act up. Like, the way he phrases things is as if her actions are choices and his are not. Yes. Like, he even says, stop being so dramatic. It's okay. Everything's okay. Like, like he's so- he's Because Noah tries to rush him. I don't know what she thought she was going to fucking do, but she like tries to like attack him and he restrains her and is shushing her like he's comforting her as if she's crying over something else. So it's like, The gaslightiness of
0: it all is so... It's so severe that some of these moments made me laugh. Like, of course this man is calling this woman overdramatic in the moment she realizes that she's being held captive. Like, of course he's telling her she's being overdramatic. The extreme situation that this is paired with his very casual dialogue, it's so jarring and funny at times. Also disturbing.
1: It's very just matter of fact. Like, I'm going to sell your meat and and it's going to be fine. But like, I'm going to cook for you. Like, Like, that's okay. Don't
0: worry. I'm going to take care of you. You're not going to die right away. Just enjoy the time. So meanwhile, Molly tries to call Noah. She leaves a voicemail saying that she's worried. She hasn't gotten a text from Noah and Noah promised that she would text. But then Noah, aka we know it's fucking Steve at this point, who has Noah's phone, texts back. And it seems to temporarily alleviate Molly's worries, but she knows that something is up. And I'm pretty sure it's because Noah and Molly have this best friend thing where when they say goodbye, one says I love you and the other says I love you more. And when Molly goes to end the text conversation, she says I love you. And Noah, aka Steve, just sends back a heart. And I think that that cues Molly, like, that's not what we say to each other.
1: And I like, too, that she just Googles Steve Dr. Portland. <laughs> <laughs> like, she she's going on, like, a reverse hunt. Like, okay, who the fuck is this guy? Because if he's, like, a reconstructive surgeon, like, he's got to have, like, a website. Right. And then she tries again, Steve Reconstructive Surgeon Portland and is not finding Mm-mm. anything. But then... She reverse searches the photo of Cottage Grove and finds like a stock
0: photo from a website. So she's realizing. Yeah, that was the photo that he had sent. Yes. To like prove like, look at the view. It's so nice. Mm -hmm. Same exact picture. It's a fake. It's all fucked up. Meanwhile, Noah is freaking out in her room. Stephen's in there anymore. It's just her by herself. And she hears a woman on the other side of the wall. This woman is saying that they're in the same boat. So immediately we're getting the sense, is this another captive? How many people are here? But the woman on the other side doesn't sound scared. She sounds maybe more focused on Noah at this time. She introduces herself as Penny. She seems to have a similar background to Noah. Like she didn't have a lot of family or connections. And Noah asks if there are any others. And this moment is so sad and But she says there's one other Melissa, and when Penny calls for Melissa, Melissa kind of answers, but then we can just kind of hear her singing to herself as if she's been here a while, or she's, I don't know, lost her mind slightly. And then Noah makes the resolution to get out of there. She's not going to die here. And this
1: scene was your favorite, this next one, right?
0: Yes, this is, this (laughs) scene was, I, my jaw was dropped. (laughs) So cue fucking Steve cooking montage- he is having the time of his life. Okay. So Steve is in the kitchen. He opens up his very like modern freezer drawer, grabs a severed leg, dances with it in the kitchen. It's Melissa's leg, we know, because eventually he puts her picture down in front of him as he prepares, prepares it for shipping. As he prepares, that's right. And he's drinking red wine, (laughs) he's listening to good music, he's preparing Melissa's leg, putting things into boxes with locks of hair like little mementos. And clothes. And clothes. And then we see the boxes are taken away by a guy who packs them into a black SUV. They arrive in these like men's houses and then the men, they eat the meat. But this scene is like, you have to see it. Like it is amazing and this is where i wanted to bring up
1: some of what we talked about a little earlier in the historical context because the man that is packaging the boxes of meat into the black suv is an indigenous man <gasps> you're right he's in i mean he's in a business suit but he has the very long braid like yes. down the down his back that there's a very intentional shot of which obviously doesn't delineate from any certain group of people, but is, you know, within Native and Indigenous communities, obviously, like, a sign of spiritualness. So I thought it was very interesting that, like, this henchman is being middleman between one rich white guy and then another rich white guy that's receiving the meat, but in his culture, like, this may have been a practice or this may be something that is still sacred and, you know... I am not up to date on practices of Native and Indigenous peoples when it comes to those practices, but the fact that it was something that was done in ceremony, at least historically, like, I just thought that was very interesting and very intentional that they put somebody with that identity as the
0: person who is continuing out his work. That's very interesting. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And you would have just thought that Steve was making some fucking spaghetti carbonara. Like he is not, he is cutting up a woman's leg, which is nuts. So the next scene we see Noah is refusing to eat.
1: Steve comes in to check on her and (laughs) she asks to shower and he says alone. And I just, I (laughs) laughed so hard because it's like, It's almost like Steve is still acting like they're in the beginning stages of dating where that's like the most elementary, introductory, spicy text (laughs) that I won't say like just men, but I guess a lot of men send when like you're texting somebody and you're like, oh, like BRB, I gotta take a shower. And it's like by yourself (laughs) alone. Like it was just so funny that that was the joke he decided to pull. You know, he's like, I'm just trying to make you laugh. Like, can't you just give
0: me one smile, please? <sighs> he does not get it. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get it that she's being held captive. Right. I really think that he's so clueless and it's so funny to me. I wrote like he's
1: acting like he's making up to her after a fight. Where yes. it's like, oh,
0: come on. Like I, Like, I know this is really <laughs> hard
1: to get used to, but like just give me a smile like I just want to make you laugh like he's acting as if they just had like a spat and not that (laughs) she's chained to a fucking floor in his basement
0: So he takes her to the shower, which from down in the basement area where she is, like, she has to walk up this long staircase with no railing to get to the main floor of the house. And while they're on the stairs, she makes a move to try to, like, incapacitate him enough to get out of there. But he immediately restrains her and whispers in her ear, bad girl. Which was like, (laughs) oh my God so kinky well, before
1: that he like was leading her by her waist and he had said are you going to be good and I
0: was Uh-oh. like "Ooh, <laughs> spicy yeah so obviously he knocks her out again but when Noah wakes up again she's on the operating table face down she can't feel anything she can barely form sentences she's still pretty drugged up But Steve tells her that he's taking her ass because she lost his trust. And Steve just looks like he's having a fine time back there, just doing his little Steve thing.
1: Yeah, he's singing and like the lyrics he's singing is, I don't want to lose you. I don't want to see you walking away, which is very interesting being that he's taking her ass. And I mean, we kind of forget halfway through the movie that she doesn't have an ass and
0: probably wouldn't be able to walk very well, but we're gonna ignore that. We're just gonna (laughs) slide right past that. Meanwhile, Molly is still doing her Molly thing. She pops into the bar that Noah told her that she went to with Steve on their first date to see Paul, the bartender. And she walks in, you know, she's a little flirty. She knows that she's gonna ask Paul for credit card info if he can find it, because I guess Steve paid for their date with a card. She's like, come on, Paul, last name, card info. He says, finally, after giving in a little bit, because he's nervous he can't just give that info out. His job could be in jeopardy. He says he'll think about it. We see an upside down shot
1: of the food tray in Noah's room. She's starting to eat now. She's kind of getting used to her circumstances. I noted that she didn't eat her cherries. And cherries are important because on their first date, Noah ordered a drink with like an exorbitant amount of cherries. (laughs) So you can tell that Steve's still trying to like appease her by giving her cherries on the side of her meal. She's not touching them. She has a conversation with Penny where she's blaming herself. She's like, I just want to hurt him, Penny. I can't believe I slept with him. And Penny seems surprised by this information. Penny reveals that he never had sex with her or any of the others that she knows of, Mm. but says to Noah, it's his fault. Like, don't blame yourself. We could not have known that we would end up in this situation, In the next scene, Paul texts Molly the full name of Steve, which is Brendan Stephen Kemp. Molly does some digging and finds his wife's Facebook page, Anne is her name, and Molly sees a photo of Steve with Anne and two kids in front of their new house. So through that information, Molly finds the address of his like $1.4 million house Mm -hmm. in Portland, and she's ready to do some investigative work. Yeah, she's just
0: getting started. Back to Noah, she is doing her best to try to pee, which is hard when you don't have a fucking ass to sit on. And she hears Penny scream in the next room over, which is very upsetting. And at this point, I do have to say, I wasn't sure if Penny was going to be real or not. Right. I don't know if there were purposeful details that were supposed to make you question that. I thought maybe it was a plant. Or maybe even later, I was like, is it Steve's wife? Like, is she Mm. gathering intel? Right. So wasn't sure, but back to Molly, she goes to Steve's house. Okay, so she's staking out Steve's house and keeping Paul posted. So she is in communication with Paul and he's aware of what she's doing and where she is. I think she shares her location with him.
1: After a surgery, presumably on Penny, Steve arrives with cherries in Noah's room. Plops down on the outside of the room and just starts complaining about his day. Like, yeah. like as if he just had like a bad day at work. He's like, oh, I'm just so tired. This, that, and the other thing. And Noah's like, you know, not going to play this game with him. But she asks him, why did you sleep with me? And you could tell he's disarmed by this. And he said, I told you, I like you. Anyway, it was a mistake. Mm. So we're starting to see that Steve likes Noah. And she might be able to use this to her advantage a little bit.
0: He tells her to try to relax. He says if she's stressed, it's not good for the meat. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote, I'm laughing. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) She finds a note from a previous tenant named Sammy. And it really small handwriting in one of the margins of a magazine she's reading tells her that if you're reading this, it means he likes you. So, yeah, like Shay said, we can see that Noah's going to try to take advantage of this. Noah calls for Penny on the other side of the wall. Penny is so dejected, but they have a conversation and Noah tells her to stay strong. So we're still kind of getting this like building sense of almost like a sisterhood, but also like this building strength, like we're maybe going to get out of here. Back to Paul. This is right when Molly's going to go in. Is this when she sends her location and is like, if you don't hear from me, like come to this place, I guess? But then she says, or unless you want to come over later. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She's going to thank him for the favor. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and Paul is smitten with Molly, so he's going to hopefully hold up his end of the deal. So Molly knocks on the door of Steve's place, and then Anne answers. And she's like this little blonde lady. She seems pretty unassuming. Molly immediately tells Anne that she thinks Steve's been unfaithful. And Anne doesn't seem like she believes it. She's like, there's no way. But meanwhile, back to Noah, Steve checks on her and she starts asking more questions. So she says, what does it taste like? And because we know Steve just loves man meat (laughs) so much, he answers and entertains her curiosities. And then she doesn't ask another question and he's like, that's it? (laughs) She's playing it so well because he's going on and on about how exquisite
1: it is and how (laughs) it's unlike anything. And she just goes, hmm. Like, just, like, so unimpressed, and you could tell that, like, he is so intrigued by her, mm. and she's playing him very, very well. Meanwhile, back at Ann's house, Molly shows Anne the picture that Noah took of Steve, and Anne denies that it's him. Also claims that she saw him leaving for work this morning, and if Steve was away, like Molly is claiming, then it couldn't be him. Just urges her to call the police, denies that her husband ever goes out of town for business. Steve gets home and says like, you know, my friend Noah. And he's like, no, you know, like he's acting. Mm
0: -hmm. But it is fully Steve. But it's fully Steve. And it's so tense. So Molly goes to leave. And she's almost to the front door. But she calls Noah's number. Which is so smart, but also, like, she's still so very much in danger. She's inside that house with these two. So, of course, when she calls Noah's number, her phone rings in Steve's fucking pocket. And right when maybe she's about to react or do something about it, we all know what's going on now. We all know what's up. Wifey Anne comes up behind her and knocks her out with a cast iron skillet. See, There
1: was a really good misdirect in this scene because Anne gives Molly water. And I was like, oh, there's something in that fucking water. Mm. Like, that's what I thought was going to happen because that's how we saw it happen the first time. Like,
0: oh shit, I didn't even catch that.
1: So she's drinking the water and I was expecting her to stand up and get woozy or something like that. But no, it was the phone misdirect. But then part of me was like, would Steve have let that happen? Especially if she does know more than he wants her to? Like, was that going to happen regardless? I guess it doesn't matter. Yeah. Anne knocks Molly out and is transported to Steve's cabin. We see her POV from the inside of his trunk. It's also overlaid with a montage of rich people eating meat. That happens a lot through the movie. It cuts to other people receiving and eating the meat that Steve sends
0: out. Always men. I don't think we see any women eating meat.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right. Paul checks in with Molly, sees that her location's, like, not where she should be, and he screenshots it just in case, but, you know, doesn't follow up with her in a meaningful way. The next scene, Steve is visiting Noah again, and there's a little exchange. He asks, why did you ask me what it tasted like? She said, I don't know. I was curious. And he's like, you expect me to believe that? You can believe what you want. Like, there's just like a look of back and (laughs) forth. And he's like, all right, then. Like, let's have dinner and see how curious you really are. And leaves her some clothes to change into.
0: Okay. So back at Steve and Anne's house, we have this scene with Anne where she's checking herself out in the mirror. She's looking at her face, which is very much flawless, Mm -hmm. But we can see that she's pulling the skin back as if imagining certain procedures to maybe make her skin a little tighter. And Steve comes in and they have a chat. They kiss. And I love this moment where he has her face in his hands in a way that you would think would be cute. Like, you know, your face in your husband's hand, your lover's hand. But he's also pulling the skin back on her face as if imagining what she would look like with more procedures, which is funny. Then he leaves and she undresses to get in the fucking shower. And she is fucking missing the bottom half of her leg. Like her whole like knee down is gone. And obviously that is telling us that she was once in that fucking house and some of her meat got sold off somewhere until she figured out a way to become wifey. Yeah. And then the most brilliant cut... Right after we realized this, we cut to a close-up of Steve jogging with both of his fucking stupid legs intact. Just taking in the nice mountain air with his legs. Meanwhile, all the women around him are in pieces. In pieces! I also liked how
1: he's on a nature path and he is running on a grassy patch that's separating two paved paths. I looked at it as he's riding the line between like, quote unquote, civilized and uncivilized because he's this doctor, he's this prestige, but he's also participating in this practice that's uncivilized in this way. So then we see Steve prepping meat. He goes to his industrial size walk-in freezer You thought the drawer was bad. No.
0: (laughs) This freezer is crazy.
1: (laughs) There are so many body parts with name tags and dates. And he picks up a torso and we see him preparing rib meat. And I was like, oh my God, ribs were Noah's favorite.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Isn't Steve just so thoughtful? Okay. Wow. Now they're together he has a charcuterie board even ready for her. Then eventually Noah starts asking more questions. She's like, when did you first try it? He said 18 or 19. And I said, wow, it's giving like sexual undertones. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we're going to talk about this when we talk about raw, but also like, you know, that's a really, I think, common age for a lot of people to like have sex for the first time. Which I don't know if in my head, I would imagine that's an age for people to eat people for the first time. Like, I never really thought about it. I just want to know, like, what the (laughs) circumstance like. I don't think we really get any hints. She says, how many people are in this community? He said, it's 1% of the 1%. Is it only women that you eat? Yeah. Why? He says, it's where the market is. It tastes better.
1: He also goes on this rant as if he's having a fucking... Eat, pray, love moment. (laughs) He talks about finding this community at 19. He's like, that's when my life started making sense. It's a powerful thing, this whole world. It's about giving. Giving yourself over to somebody. Becoming one with somebody else forever. And that's a beautiful thing. That's surrender. That's love. Logic declined. Because (laughs) none of you is missing. (laughs) Because it's not about fucking giving. It's about domination. Otherwise, Anne would have eaten you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if you're talking about that, that, that's love, that's surrender. Like, you haven't surrendered a fucking thing, Steve. Yeah, where's your
0: matching amputation, Steve?
1: Exactly. I'm like, Anne would have eaten you if it was all about this reciprocity shit that you're talking about.
0: I'm (laughs) like, you are fucked up.
1: Get the fuck out of here.
0: So, cue a meatball. She gets this meatball in front of her and immediately asks if it's her. As if he made that out of her ass. He says no. She tries it. then, like we've seen before, unsettling montage of other men eating. Then Steve tells her that that is a $30,000 meal. That single meatball. But it would be a lot more if she was alive.
1: Also asks, like, well, who is it then? And he was like, her name's Hope, which is kind of funny.
0: (laughs) Then the two share a giggle over the irony of Hope's name. When Steve returns Noah to her room, she thanks him. He tells her he knew she was special because she's fucked up too. And Steve appears to be in deep thought as he walks away from Noah.
1: He's like frustrated with himself. Like you could tell that he's getting in his own way. And he's like, oh, like you let go too much, this, that, the other thing. And he takes out this frustration
0: by retrieving Molly from her room and carrying her away. I guess Molly is in Melissa's. I guess. Well, I guess at this point, Melissa does not make it No, And so I'm assuming she's gone by now and Molly's in her room. Back in her room, we see Noah vomiting up her meal in her little toilet. And Penny hears and starts a conversation through the walls. And they bond a little bit more while Molly is simultaneously operated on. And Paul is also looking for Molly. So a couple of establishing montage shots going on here. The camera pans up and shows that Penny is indeed a real woman on the other side of the wall. So she's just sitting against the wall. We can see that the bottom half of her leg, much like Anne's, has been amputated. Also, Molly was laying face up on the operating table, which is different than what we saw for Noah. So we're not really sure what he is taking from Molly, but we can make assumptions later.
1: So later, Steve brings Noah a gift a pink dress. An
0: ugly pink dress. Yeah, it is so
1: ugly. And it's also so uncharacteristic of Noah. Yeah. So this is a callback to like the conversation with Chad. It's gross. He leaves her some makeup and invites her to dinner again and said, maybe you can freshen up. There's a montage of both of them getting ready. He's suiting up. She's getting ready. And we see that Steve is now blowing Anne off to have dinner with Noah, not answering her calls. Puts his phone in a box with pictures of Anne from around the house. So he's cheating now. I mean, he was cheating before, but like, this isn't a ruse anymore. Steve picks Noah up.
0: They go upstairs. He pours her some wine. She chugs it very quickly. She asks if it's a date and he says, maybe it is.
1: And then they're eating pate, which is funny because I just thought pate was only cat food. (laughs) (laughs) but Apparently it's liver. And she says, who is this? And he said, this is Melissa. So we know Melissa's dead (sighs) because you can't live without your liver.
0: She says, did Melissa ever get a candlelit dinner? Steve does her one better and shows her the trophy shrine behind this one painting that we were introduced to earlier. And when he opens up this painting, we can see there are like, what, like 16 cubbies back there, all with like clothes, pictures, jewelry. And there's also one of the bottom cubbies have a bunch of phones in it. And we can see, oh, like, we saw Penny's name, Melissa's name. We saw Sammy. Sammy. Yeah. And then when she looks at the phone cubby, she sees Molly's phone in the collection. And it's almost like, does she see it? But, like, you know she sees it because of the way the camera zooms in a little bit. But mm-hmm. she does not react. She keeps it together. She also asks, where's my stuff? <laughs> and Steve says, with me, I guess.
1: Oh, she got power and she knows it. She got power and she knows it. Mm -hmm. And she, again, is playing that very jovial, dark humor role with him. Yes. When she's eating the pate, she's laughing and she says, that's so boring, isn't it? She tastes so decadent and her name is Melissa. I thought you were going to say something like joy. Yeah. She's being so like dark,
0: Mm -hmm. but you could tell that it's like disarming Steve in like the best way. He loves it. He is looking at her and thinking this girl is just like me. So next up for dinner, after the pate, is breast meat. She starts giggling. He's like, what's funny? And she's like, well, you just saved the breast for last. Ha <laughs> She laughs, he laughs. Then she starts to cry. And at first I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, like Noah. But then she starts talking about how nice it is, the dinner, him. She just can't process what's going on because it's so confusing. She feels awful because she doesn't feel awful. It's giving very much like, I love eating people with you, Steve. He loves it.
1: Steve comforts her and I noted that this was a very good parallel to when he kissed Anne because <gasps> he grabs her face and pulls her face toward him <gasps> in a way where her cheeks are really full and it's not a flattering angle for Noah. Like wow. like her cheeks are really like kind of smushed up like next to her lips almost like, like a duck face <laughs> almost and she's crying like she's I mean she's upset. But he doesn't care. Like, he pulls her face toward him. And it's like, oh, my God. Like, he's not looking at her as something that he can, like, tweak and fix. Uh Like, he's into her.
0: It is so crazy analyzing Steve's romance because he's a psychopath. But, like, all signs point to he is in love with her in his way. But also there's a moment, I think, right before Noah starts crying, Steve responding to the breast for last thing. Or somewhere around there. He says something about this might look familiar Mm. about the breast meat. And I think it's supposed to tell us that this is Molly. And do we think she knows that? I don't think. Because if I heard that, I'd be like, oh, because I have boobs. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like, this might look familiar. You have boobs. Okay, maybe that's what he meant by that.
1: But no, because you're right, because by the time we do see Molly, like, she's not missing anything, like, Like, meaningful.
0: And she was face up. It has to be her boobs. I think so. I think you're right. I didn't catch that, but you did. Yeah. Okay. And her, like, crying was already kind of in motion. Like, she didn't even have time to react. Maybe she didn't even want to entertain the idea that she was snacking on Molly's tits, because that's a lot. Uh, That's a lot. That's a lot. (laughs) I just, that's really a lot. So anyway, back to them, the couple, the couple of the hour. He tells her again, something along the lines of we're just different. And I knew it from the moment I met you. They kiss. And then he is like, oh my God, I never cuffed you. The whole time her hands were free and she didn't run away. And then she asks if he wants to dance. Cue viral TikTok gif. (laughs) This is where I'm
1: like, are we forgetting that she doesn't have an ass? Okay. They, I don't know. Yeah. No, there was like a shot that- Maybe he didn't take all of her ass.
0: I don't know. I mean, if he really liked her, maybe he wanted to keep a little bit.
1: I wasn't looking in an objectifying way, but Daisy Edgar Jones had a curve.
0: Like, <laughs> she had a curve. Maybe in it's it. her little diaper. Maybe, maybe she oh, has maybe. to wear her diaper.
1: <laughs> maybe, but yes. Viral TikTok scene. <laughs> lots of fun dancing maybe rivals the prom night dance scene,
0: but not, it it doesn't top it. It's different. It's different. It's slow. It's tense. And it's mirroring the first dance scene that we see them in. But this one is so much more like, what the fuck is going to happen here? Because it's at the point where I am fooled by Noah. I am like, I don't know what's really going to go down at this point. So, wow, we are dancing then we're kissing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even. <laughs> we are in the bedroom now. I laughed that she went to the
1: bathroom before sex. Because, again, that just seems like something you do before you have sex yeah. with somebody. Mm-hmm. Like, you want to freshen up and you want to, like, mm-hmm. make sure all your, your bits are in order. Yeah, all, that all your sense. bits.
0: Your butt diaper, maybe, if that's uh-huh. what you're wearing. So she goes back into the bedroom. She's going down on Steve. And then all of a sudden... We're looking at Steve's face. He appears to be in ecstasy. Then all of a sudden he screams in pain. Noah, we see now, she looks up. Her mouth is covered in blood. She has very clearly just bitten or bitten off a part of Steve's dick. She has toothpaste on her hands. Shoves it in his eyes to incapacitate him, then runs out of the bedroom, locks him in. She puts like a, like a handle in between the door handles or something, like something to keep him in there. And she runs downstairs. She first finds Molly right away. So obviously confirmed she knew that Molly was there. She gets Molly out. Then we run in, we get Penny. And Molly is strong as fuck, right? Because we knew that. She was boxing earlier. She is able to pick Penny up, and they are trying to make their escape. Oh, my God. This is- <laughs> so, well, actually, first, they can't get Penny up the
1: stairs. Yeah. So they put her in a dumbwaiter <laughs> that we saw earlier. So smart. But at this point, Steve has broken out. Mm-hmm. He's got, like... <laughs> he's just in his boxers. He, There's blood everywhere. He's running around. <sighs> he hears the ding of the dumbwaiter. So he gets like a meat cleaver and he's standing by the dumbwaiter. It opens. Penny kicks him. And then Molly and Noah are right there. And there is a fucking fight scene in this kitchen.
0: A full-on brawl. A brawl.
1: We have fucking Molly hitting him in the face with a meat tenderizer. We have Noah going after him with a knife. He's throwing Penny across the counter. Like, there's... <laughs> Like, this scene was choreographed really, really well. Mm -hmm. And I also very much like that none of the girls are making a break for it. No. Like, they're all there. They're They're protecting each other. Like, there's that one point where Steve is on top of Noah, and Penny jumps on top of him, and then she's on top of Penny, and then Noah comes back, and then Molly's kicking him. And finally, after what seems like forever, Molly knocks Steve out. Yes.
0: Also, at some point during this montage, we see that Paul is driving to Molly's location. Fuck Paul at this point. I was so mad about Well, at this. this point, I'm not mad yet. Because we think he's going to get there just in time. You're going to be mad. Yeah. So the girls are out of the house now and they are running towards the woods. We also see that now Anne has arrived with the henchmen that we saw before. Also, meanwhile, we had seen that Steve had gotten up and has also gone outside. So by the time Anne and the henchmen get in the house, they just see all the blood and chaos. But Steve is already out and the women are already out. Paul arrives. Steve is outside yelling for Noah, yelling
1: Noah's name, being like, Noah, you lied to me. I'm going to kill all you fucking bitches. Like he's he's full on crazy now. And Paul goes, "Mm -mm, nope, this is where I die. Mm -mm, I'm going. And he drives away despite hearing the calling for Noah. Like that was the whole, you you knew. Mm -hmm. You knew.
0: Yeah. Fuck Paul. I mean, honestly, like there is a good chance he might've died. Well, I mean. When Anne and the guy came out of the house towards the woods, like I think they might've seen him. I don't know location wise, like where the exit was though. I don't really know. I mean, it's a get out joke. Like that's what it is. It's the end of get out joke.
1: Like that's what he's trying to do. He's like, "Mm -mm, I'm not making (laughs) it. Like I'm getting the fuck out of here. There's too many white people. Like that's the joke. I can, I get it, but Mm -hmm. it's like. It sucks. It sucks. Maybe it's meant to, but like, it's just frustrating.
0: Is it maybe saying like, cause Paul was like the guy that we thought maybe we could rely on, but we couldn't. The women had to rely on each other. Yeah. I think that is the point and finds her phone in the box with all the missed calls. Then she hears Steve's angry gunshots from outside. So her and the henchmen follow those noises. We are back in the woods. We see Noah's phone screen light up and Steve is about to shoot at her. But then Penny yells, hey, you fucking half dick. Her and Molly ambush Steve. Noah comes over, finally gets control, gets the final word, says, Hey, smile. He does, and then she shoots him dead. In the head. Yeah. In no way
1: head. he's coming back from it. Yeah.
0: Wow. And also by this time, because he was hit with whatever pan or thing, his face is all swollen. He looks so demonic. So now the girls are alone. Dumb horror movie thing.
1: Noah separates to go back and get her phone, even though it's been established that there is no signal because they have Molly's phone. Uh, and yeah. Penny can't move because she's yeah. got half a leg and just can't do anything by herself. You know, Molly's trying to get a signal, trying to get a signal. They lost Noah's phone in the tussle with Steve. She's like, I have to go back and get my phone. But bitch, like you didn't have service to begin with. You don't need your phone. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you need to call for help. But like if Molly's not getting service and you didn't get service in yeah. the first place, like why are you separating from them? I understand it's horror movies. Whatever. Right. Stupid. Stupid. Declined.
0: And discovers Steve's body and doesn't seem upset. Immediately, she says, let's get his body on ice. Ooh. (laughs) Cold,
1: bitch. Cold. (laughs) I mean, you deserve it because your husband was a cheatin' whatever, but like,
0: mm, mm mm-hmm. Anne runs into Noah. Anne is pretending to be almost overwhelmed by gratitude for Noah having finally killed her husband. And this, I guess, disarms Noah enough. She doesn't know who this woman is. Well, she's trying to play it off like she
1: was in the fucking compound, too. But she's dressed up all nice. Like, she's like, you know, we're finally
0: free now, right? Like, you finally did it. And
1: Anne's advancing on her. Noah doesn't know what to do. And then Anne starts choking (laughs) Noah out.
0: Yes. But then Noah is able to grab her keys and stabs Anne a bunch of times in the neck. That's not enough, though. Anne is back up, but then Molly beats the shit out of her with a shovel. And wow, I mean, that scene was pretty crazy. Because Molly's screaming, I asked
1: you for help, bitches! like, you are the fucking problem. Oh. <laughs> like the fact that she was aiding and abetting Steve and yes. letting all of these things happen. But she kills oh. Anne. This is like the one of the best comedic exchanges. Noah's like,
0: who the hell was that? (laughs) So then Molly tells her, like, that was his wife, and then we have the what he's married moment. (laughs) Then Molly's like, was married, and then they're laughing. (laughs) And then I wrote, I was like, the way women have to have a sense of humor about everything. Then we get the feeling everything's gonna be okay. They do I love you and I love you more. Oh, yeah. I love you and I love you more. And that's when
1: I knew you'd love this movie. Because once Heads were Roll started playing, I'm like, that's that's like a soul song for you.
0: The cherry on top of a fabulous ending.
1: Well, then there's the last shot.
0: Oh, yes.
1: Noah's phone lights up. Finally, she has some signal and she gets a
0: you up text from Chad. <laughs> <laughs> and so it begins again. So that was fresh. That was fresh. We, of
1: course, have some post-plot trivia. This was Lady written and directed, which I loved. It was directed by Mimi Cave in her directorial debut and was written by Lauren Kahn. So on the opening, the director, Mimi Cave, wrote, "'I've met plenty of great people on dating apps, but it's exhausting.'" What it does is it sets up this way of meeting people that is in the same realm of what it feels like to go (laughs) shopping, and I think that is a dangerous way to assess other individuals. Mm -hmm. It's like you are being packaged up and sold. Wow, yeah. Very funny that she did not meet Steve on a dating app, but was still kind of being packaged up and sold – Because it's almost like if you think about the way that the photos of the girls were like framed, like even like they kind of looked like Polaroids, like it almost looked like you were looking at an image of a girl on a dating app. Like, is there some sort of catalog that these rich men can Mm. like flip through? It's like, no, it's cute. You know what I mean? Ew, yeah. Like they can just pick.
0: Oh my God, that's so, it must be that way.
1: Because otherwise, like, why would you save all of these different body parts? Like, if I'm an entrepreneurial (laughs) cannibal that's packaging up these, like, just sell one at a time all at once and just get rid of it, get rid of the evidence. Like, you don't want to be holding on to that fucking evidence because if you get raided, like, you have the evidence that all these women are here. He was
0: obviously confident enough that something like that wouldn't happen.
1: Yeah, So this is from an article called Why Are We So Obsessed with Cannibalism by (laughs) James Gregg.
0: Asking all the right questions, James.
1: (laughs) And he writes, throughout history, cannibalism has been a metaphor for all kinds of things. In Fresh, it's mostly about misogyny with a side serving of class antagonism. For a start, it makes the unfashionable but interesting suggestion that cosmetic surgery itself can be read as a kind of patriarchal violence against women. Feminist writer Carol J. Adams in The Sexual Politics of Meat makes a connection between the butchering of animals and sexual violence against women and argue that a similar objectification enables either act of savagery. In Fresh, women are literally fragmented, objectified, and consumed, reduced to meat, carved up and devoured by the patriarchy as represented by the rich white guy and his wealthy clients as well as being an enthusiast himself. Who's Steve? Hold on. Oh, wait, no. Duh. As well as being... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There- <laughs> i'm so sorry no because in my other in my other source there's like another okay okay okay. as well as being an enthusiast himself steve runs a niche business catering to the one percent of the one percent who feel entitled to satisfy their every desire no matter how depraved he only eats and sells women he tells noah because that's where the market is which suggests both misogyny and wider predations of the elite two things unlike noah's buttocks that cannot be neatly cleaved From Jennifer's body to Raw, the 2000s and 2010s saw a spate of films in which cannibalism was reclaimed as an act of female agency, an expression of monstrous femininity and animalistic desire. Fresh reverses this trend. The man is very much the aggressor, and while all female characters do eventually exert a great deal of agency in defeating him, their own moral virtue is left intact. Wow. So there it is. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's on the nose, but it works, right? I think we've seen other depictions of women being objectified and codified in horror movies, whether it be for sexual desire, or whether it be for just enjoyment or sport, but not necessarily like the actual consumption just because yes. you can. I also like that Fresh is almost challenging the idea that cannibalism can be gentrified. Yes, because if we look at the history of it, it was for ritualistic purposes or spiritual purposes. It's not necessarily relegated to this act of, quote unquote, uncivilized savagery. But now you have like this presence of an indigenous character in this movie being the in-between for these rich, wealthy guys. And he's in this business suit. And it kind of is like the idea that there was like poor people things and then rich people come along and make the poor people thing a brutal. Like, breweries for example (laughs) like breweries like 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 literally like it's literally about like oh like you can't afford beer you're making your own like oh my god whatever and now breweries are like fucking you know gentrifiers paradise that's how you can tell a place is being gentrified when breweries start fucking popping up so it's like the idea that people have, at least in the world of this movie, but I'm sure also in real life, reach a point of insane wealth where there's literally nothing they can't get. So they almost dip back into what you do out of desperation, even if we're thinking about The Hills Have Eyes, because that movie is very much about only needing to do things out of necessity because there isn't another option. Mm-hmm. So now it's like, Oh, this is sick and depraved, but and only I can do it in right. the way where it's fine dining, so let me do this thing.
0: It's like a world where rich, privileged people who are also depraved are tired of just plain old sexual assault and they have to go a step further and actually eat women in order to antagonize them and rob them of their livelihood, right? I mean, I just feel like when you think of, like, men preying on women, I personally think of sexual assault and rape and sexual violence, physical violence. And in this case, we don't really see that as much as we see. I'll just fucking eat you. How's that? So this last thing is about the ethical thought experiment that cannibalism,
1: like, is. (laughs) This is from an article, The Horror Films Navigating Cannibalism and Female Desire by Alex Denny. Denny quotes... The vegan and cannibal have a point of agreement. Either all meat is unethical or no ethical limits exist, including homo sapiens. And that quote comes from Desmond Bellamy, a.k.a. The Cannibal Guy, who runs a website decoding instances of cannibalism in news and in popular culture, which, interesting, cannibalism's challenge to meat is simply showing us that we are also edible meat animals. For Bellamy, meat is a feminist issue because in industrial farming, it is mostly female animals reared as reproductive machines before being slaughtered for consumption. It is also, of course, an ecological issue, another fact that might account for our fascination with these stories. Meat consumption rose 58% between 1998 and 2018, and biologist E.O. Wilson estimated that for the rest of the world to reach American levels of consumption with current technology— It would require four or more planet Earths. No wonder humans who are made of meat are wondering when it will all end. As we lurch from one disaster to another, it's easy to feel like humanity's mask is slipping, lector-like, to reveal the monster within. According to Bellamy, cannibals reject an anthropocentric view of the world to put forth a radical new idea that all animals are equal and equally edible.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Looks like the limit does not exist.
1: Nope, the limit does not exist. (laughs) I mean, it's a compelling argument. Like, it's in the same way that Americans relegate certain animals as pets and won't eat them, right? Like dogs and cats, but like a dog has the same level or even inferior level of intelligence to a pig, which people eat all the time, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we get to pick and choose like what's ethical and what's unethical, So this guy's just putting forward the idea that like, no, we're animals. We might be able to like work a machine whereas a cow can't, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't make us off the table when the going gets rough.
0: Wow. I do know that there are, and I can't point to any sources for this, but I do know that if humans eat a lot of human meat, I remember one time there was an episode of My Favorite Murder, I think, and they talked about a tribe that had a ritual that when somebody died they would eat part of the person as like a goodbye ritual sort of thing. And there was an illness that started because of that. I don't know if it was because it was like humans eating human meat or humans eating deceased meat that wasn't prepared properly. But like, I do know that cannibalism does bring with it actual physical repercussions, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting too. And also like other animals don't eat animals like them, correct? Like it's, it's not like you see carnivores eating... Like a lion won't eat another lion, I
1: don't think. Yeah,
0: I don't think that that's really a thing.
1: I mean, I'm sure when the going gets tough, you do what the fuck you need to survive, and animals have a lot more.
0: That's true. Or a lot
1: less ethical considerations. Mm -hmm. That's very true not to say that we're advocating for cannibalism
0: no no it's just just thinking about it just thinking about it and especially because like you said there are a lot of examples right now about cannibalism on netflix other streaming services movies shows reading right like it's compelling and i think our next installment of cannibal power hour really encapsulates
1: cannibalism as like feminist desire or yes. fem- feminist agency
0: so that should be exciting definitely a different scope to look at this topic if you would like to follow along with us and what we do next week and beyond follow us on instagram at the horrors podcast and or email us on gmail at the horrors podcast and until next time we're the horrors bye bye